Hello and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything Farmmaker. Hello, I'm Michael Rashad and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker. And my name is John Mark Osborne. Today's podcast is part two of a fascinating conversation with Mark LaRochelle, CEO of Productive Computing. Where do you find your FileMaker talent or people who to work for your company? Okay. So for uh, what we do for, let me talk about junior developers, then I'll talk about experienced developers. For junior developers, people who don't know FileMaker, but we're interested in hiring with the hopes that in six months to a year, we can bill for their services uh, to some degree. Uh, that we normally do through the local colleges here, right in our own backyard. That would either be uh, California College, which is a career college that uh, provides computer science degrees, and or um, Cal State San Marcos, California State College San Marcos, right here in our backyard. They ha- also have formal computer degrees. And what I often do is I'll go in there, do some form of a seminar or presentation, introduce people to the idea of FileMaker. At the end of each of those, I generally get two to three business cards, sometimes more. My name is John People Mark Osborne. looking for internships or And I'm Michael Rashad. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next and time. We'll follow Bye-bye up with now. them. And I can tell you that um, just about all our junior developers have come through that mechanism uh, in almost every case. And in most cases, it works out very well. A lot of times they come with other skills. You know, you have to teach them FileMaker, but they might already know some other languages that could help you out in your business as well, since FileMaker communicates in a lot of ways so well with with third-party products. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you hire a computer science major, they sort of vetted themselves or you vetted them to say they understand logic, components, functions. They understand how to build software. They understand the idea of testing. All of that is something they essentially know the, the basics of. And like you said, we just teach them FileMaker and say, this is how it all relates. We generally don't use them for their other skills as much, but when it comes to the new things like APIs and or working with plugins, for example, yes, we definitely use their skills, whatever it may be. So that's junior developers. Um, now for experienced developers, we have tried all kinds of things over the years, everything from hiring people we might happen to know about to uh, putting things on the FileMaker, FileMaker site, uh, the Claris site in this case, you know, job postings we've done, Craigslist we've done, all the big ones that you would say like uh, Indeed and, and all those other, all of that stuff. So for our experienced developers, we use Kalos Consulting and they're found at kalosconsulting.com, K-A-L-O-S. And what we love about that company is that they are essentially a recruiting agency that specializes in FileMaker developers. So, and they have been in the industry for quite some time now. We've seen them at several DevCons and we've grown to know them and really uh, love them in a sense, because what they offer is unique. They really know what they're doing. And the last several developers we got uh, were as a result of the good and hard work from Kalos. They also have um, a stable of subcontractor developers that you could potentially hire. So, Whether it's full-time employment as a W-2 or you're looking for part-time help, they are a great resource for all of that stuff. So we we really enjoy working with them, and I can't speak highly enough about the success we've had with them thus far in the last several years with the last several hires. Very cool. I appreciate you being uh, transparent and and just, you know, sharing what you know about the market with everybody even though now I bet a couple of people are going to probably go check out Kalos. But, you know, I mean, there's there's enough to go around, right? Oh, yeah. I, I think that Kalos has been around now for a while uh, doing this type of work. And they're really passionate about what they do. They really understand the FileMaker industry. Uh, they've been to the last several DevCons. So they're they're insiders rather than outsiders, which, again, we all like to hear when we're talking about FileMaker people. And uh, yeah, they actually have plenty of developers to go around as far as I know. There's always people coming and going in terms of that, but they've placed so many people in the industry successfully. And you know, we've had former employees that didn't work out for us, but they went to Kalos and found a place to land and it's all worked out in the end. So it's, uh, it's a good thing, yeah. So you, t- you mentioned DevCon and what do you like most about DevCon, Mark? My favorite things about DevCon is hearing from the engineers 
there's nothing that surpasses that moment in time for me uh, with a close second being all the people that we know and you know communicate with and com the community itself is, is number two but number one thing is to either hear clay or rick kalman or something talk about the inside under the hood sessions slash the inside of what they're thinking why why are they doing things the way they what they're what they're paying attention to and what they're focusing on. Those are the things that I enjoy the most about DevCon, getting inside the uh, inside the minds of the people that are creating the very software that we work with every day. Yeah, I always tell people, ask about DevCon, it's, it's, they think it's all about the sessions and the sessions are great, don't get me wrong. But for me, it's about talking to people, you know, sitting, even just sitting at the bar, going out to dinner or talking to people in between the sessions or sitting down at lunch and meeting somebody who is in the same industry as you and you would have never, I mean, just, just freak accident happens and you, you meet somebody and you become FileMaker buddies for life. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that can happen at the developer conference. It's not just going to school again. It's, it's a lot more than that. Yep. I totally agree. Uh, all that community, if you will. And we're so privileged to be able to have a booth um, where people can come by and just say hi, or, Hey, thanks for this. Or, Hey, we use that. Or can you help me with, and it's, it's a neat place to, kind of call home and uh, we've been god i think we've been exhibiting since um starting with the fourth or fifth devcon continuously so we've done a lot of a lot of exhibiting over the years can you talk about the ins and outs of having a booth there and uh sponsoring the developer conference the ins and outs something you've learned since you've you participated in so many DevCons? Sure, love to. I mean, when we first went to DevCon, we brought the whole regalia. We had monitors and computers, and we were prepared to demo every single product under every circumstance that you could possibly think of. And back then, demos were more in vogue. People took the time to kind of sit and listen and watch a demo and really talk it through. They wanted to talk through pricing, and they were a little bit more focused they were they had more time for vendors back then or so it seems i think devcon has evolved over the years and we have evolved with it uh, we no longer do demos in our booth we no longer take because it takes a lot of effort to set up for all those demos so we don't really do demos in the booth rather we still have our trusty spec sheets which is uh, basically a handout on every product and we talk to people and much like what we were talking about gents not so long ago where you want to talk and build the relationships and ask why you want to do something. So in a sense, we become like that visionary bar that they have at DevCon. We talk through things, just what are you doing? What are you trying to do? What kind of business do you have? What's your motive? What gets you excited? What keeps you up at night, as Michael uh, likes to ask? So that has that's what DevCon has become for us. It's sort of the exhibiting is more about communicating and getting to know people and less about pushing product and trying to make our money back on the booth and the expense of sponsorship. Now, uh, if you were talking to a pure business person, then I think I'm absolutely crazy to say, well, who goes to DevCon to lose money or you know, have that mindset? But that's not our mindset. Our mindset is to say, we're letting people know we're still here. We're letting people know that we love FileMaker, that we're in the industry, that we're continuing to make products and continue to solve problems. Think of it as a, maybe a long-term perspective rather than short-term. Yep. And there's so many intangible things about selling that no human can really get their arms around. You know, why do people buy? When do people buy? What made them buy? And I don't think it's any one thing. I don't think having a booth at DevCon really moves the needle one way or the other in any big way. But I know that it definitely is a small check mark in the box when people think of productive computing. They can think, oh, yeah, I thought I met those guys at DevCon, or didn't they sponsor DevCon, or any of those things. Or I had a great conversation with them and I really liked them. And then two years later, they come and say, hey, I've got a job for you. Boy, you said a mouthful. That is an absolute mouthful. It just happened yesterday. A guy reached out to me on LinkedIn. He says, you probably don't know me, but I've seen you at DevCon several times. We had to talk about XYZ and I'm looking for this, this, and this. All because of DevCon. Like you said, those those small conversations really add up to what people, because you're, you're building trust. And that and again, that's the, the foundation for this whole thing. Now, as far as sponsoring goes, um, that was a different animal. We have traditionally sponsored some form or flavor of DevCon almost uh, continuously since the beginning. If you guys think back to those early DevCons, they used to have something called the Jam Sessions. They had to have musicians come together and play. Um, these are FileMaker musicians I'm talking about. And we would they'd set up a stage in the bar somewhere, and they would just play and have a good time and all that. And we would sponsor that as a way of saying, 
you know, our name was nearby. So people sort of thought of us as the jam session sponsors for a long time. Then they did away with the jam sessions, not necessarily a bad thing, but they did away with them. And we uh, morphed into other types of sponsorships, either things included in the bag, et cetera, et cetera. This last year, we decided to go for broke and go for the big uh, platinum sponsor position where we just wanted to let people, you know, we hadn't really sponsored in a big way in a long time. So it was time to just show people, hey, no one puts baby in the corner. You know, we're still here. <laughs> we're still mean and lean and 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 having a great time helping people. So it was just a way to really emphasize to say, hey, you know, we're a big player. We just haven't showed up in a while. So it was really nothing more than a reigniting of that big brand awareness that we were looking for. So I hope it helped, but I suspect it probably never helps as much as you hope it does. But, you know, uh, as an example, I was a little disappointed that the platinum sponsors didn't get really a notable listing anywhere near the keynote, um, not even a thank you to our sponsors or anything like that, which they had done in years past. So I was a bit disappointed with that sort of lackluster enthusiasm for relative to the investment we all made. Now, I know a lot of people would like to speak at DevCon or are going to speak at DevCon or have, but need probably advice of a veteran who's done that quite a bit. So, you know, I'll start you off with, you know, how long does it take to prepare for a DevCon session? And what do you think is the most important skill to have when speaking at DevCon? So when it comes to DevCon, uh, the way it works is uh, you get invited to submit a topic to discuss. And you can submit multiple. In my case, I submitted two topics from this last DevCon, and one got picked. And I spoke on uh, the fundamentals of APIs. So essentially, it was a beginning lesson for everything you want to know about APIs. And you know, you're brand new; you don't even know what an API is. That's the kind of session I gave. And when you construct what you want to talk about, you have to be cognizant of how much do you really know about the topic and how much research is going to be required before you show up. And that will be the, the, the question you should be asking yourself in terms of how much effort is this going to take in terms of preparation. So to answer your question, John, which is, you know, what does it take? It takes as much as you don't know. In my case, I, know, I knew a lot about APIs because of all the plugins we created, but I didn't actually do a lot of the programming myself. So I did do quite a bit of research for this particular presentation that I normally wouldn't have to do. But it's not just that, it's the slides, it's the, it's the content, and then it's the, the delivery that you have to essentially practice unless you're really good on your feet. You'll have to do some form of rehearsal and so that you go up there and have a beginning and an end and have the best presentation you can make. But I'll, I won't lie to you, it's a lot of preparation. And because the people that generally speak at FileMaker are not born and bred professional speakers, meaning we don't do this every day, it's probably harder for us than it would be for, let's say, a professional speaker who normally speaks 200 times a year. For them, they have their presentation, they kind of roll it up and they just do the same thing. It's like performing an instrument that they already rehearsed on. For us, it's like we have to learn the instrument, learn the tune, and then hope to play that one performance at DevCon. So... Uh, it's a lot of preparation. I don't know how many hours exactly. I'd say, you know, I would plan on minimum 50, probably somewhere between 50 to 150 hours of actual prepping. So that's in the form of research on the topic, understanding the topic, creating the slides, rehearsing the slides, tweaking the slides, getting FileMaker to prove the slides and you fix the slides. All of that stuff takes time. And while that's all happening, if there's any kind of stage fright, or performance anxiety, that will lay on your back like an alligator from the day you say yes or the day you get accepted till the day you release it. And no one really talks about that, but that little alligator does add to life's stress. Uh, there's just no way around it. Even if you are used to talking to people, it's something you know you have to do. You can't really get out of it. It's, it's a big, big obligation. But those are the negatives. There's a lot of positives. Uh, at the end of the day, whatever you talked about, you really do know so much better than you did before you started. So in a sense, it forces you to learn a particular topic. And in my case, I did want to know more about APIs. So it really did force me into that. I want to, I want to devour the subject and really understand it. What better way to do that than to speak about it and teach about it in front of many people? I've always told people that when you teach, you understand the subject much better. It's been, uh, there's no doubt about it. And if you're looking for experience, one of the things you can do is speak at smaller groups, such as 
maybe some kind of developers group or who knows what. There's other speaking engagements rather than just your first time getting in front of 500 people. But I think, Michael, I think you've mentioned this. You learned your speaking skills from Toastmasters or something? I learned public speaking by going to Toastmasters and then just doing more and more. And I love being in front of an audience and I think we all get stage fright. I don't think anybody doesn't get stage fright, but you just, you get up there and you just turn it off. And once you're involved in speaking, that nervousness goes away. But I have also noticed in some of the sessions that I've been to in previous DEFCONs, there are several people I've seen who are present, have presented who really don't have good public speaking skills and if you can't entertain the audience and keep them involved, it's just a bad thing for both the speaker and the audience. Yeah, it doesn't matter how much you know, right? You, you're, par you're partly a performer. Oh, absolutely. Let's talk about your videos, Mark. You've, I've been doing them for decades, uh, you know, recording videos myself and, uh, you know, it's part of my business. And you just started, which, by the way, you seem like a natural, and you've got a, also a partner in crime who you hired to help you out with it. Tell us a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish with the videos you have on YouTube. Right. Well, it's funny because when I was contemplating uh, creating a YouTube, we, we always had a YouTube channel at Productive Computing. But the truth be told, in the early stages of that channel, it was nothing more than a place to hold videos for basic training on our products and demos. It was never really created in the spirit of a true YouTube channel, the way a YouTube channel should be created, which is to find your audience, say a message, do it consistently and with a lot of passion. It was never that way. It was just a place to hold videos. So it never really grew to any great degree. So we had that. And then I thought to myself, as I looked around and I looked, I became the head of marketing about a year or two ago. When we switched roles, I was head of production, then I became head of marketing and hosting and products. When I made that switch, I said, okay, let's think about marketing. What do we want to do on the social media side? Oh, there's YouTube. And I thought to myself, you know, I love learning by video. That's how I learn best, much better than reading. For whatever reason, I'm not, I can't even explain it, but I, I do love to learn via video. I think a lot of people do. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Udemy and those other co companies are a testament to that popularity and that notion. So uh, I thought to myself, I, I know that I can train people side by side. I've made videos for internal staff for years, but let's create a university where we can create our own courses. And that's where that idea was birthed to say, I was so frustrated in my own company to know we had the stable of great developers and the stable of great customers and all these fantastic solutions that we've created on a daily basis. And no one knows about it. No one outside our small little world knows all the cool things that we get to see, that we get to play with, the solutions we solve. I said, we have to fix that problem. We need to get this message out. So that's really the birth of Productive Computing University. And I thought to myself, now, why would I recreate FileMaker training? We have John Mark Osborne for FileMaker training. Why? I, I don't want to train people how FileMaker works. We've already got great videos on that. In fact, we use John Mark videos, um, and I'm not just saying that to butter you up. <laughs> we use John Mark's videos for all our uh, new developers, and sometimes even our old developers, to learn the basics of FileMaker. Uh, otherwise, it would take too long for us to train them side by side, day by day. So we do use those. So thank you for that, John. But um, the university was there for the advanced and ancillary features of FileMaker that you can't get anywhere else. Something as silly as installing an SSL certificate, which a lot of people don't want to do, but when you do find yourself having to do it, it's nice to have a course that you can take and learn about that. It's one example. And we have several other courses, and we have the FileMaker certification preparation course now too, which is our marquee flagship course at the university. So what made us do that? I think it was just my passion for, for wanting to train people, my passion for wanting to get messages out. And that's why we created YouTube videos. And I called several people, and John, I think I even called you prior to really getting involved. And I said, hey, is this worth it? Should I do it? 
what do you what what's your perception of where that's going to go and everybody that i talked to there's a handful of people that i talked to they all kind of gave me the same feedback that said you know we do it because we like to do it we do it because we think we think it builds our business but we all want to what we want to warn you it's harder than you think it is it's going to take longer than it takes it's a huge investment in time and it may not pay off in the in the early stages i think everybody kind of unanimously had the same exact uh, opinion of that. But with that in mind, I forged ahead and we started creating YouTube videos and the university and never looked back. Yeah. And just to be real clear, there's the YouTube videos, which of course are all free. And there's some teasers for your actual university, which is a paid uh, service and has many more videos on it. So I didn't want to make, I, want, I start off with saying your YouTube, and I want to make sure it's clear that you have really two places for uh, your videos. Correct. Correct. And we do have some free courses as well. The FM Server Manager, which is um, a great free course where you can learn how to connect to FileMaker Server 17 and 18 with the API and it's built in all the files. And then we also have the FM Data Migration Assistant, which um, makes, we put a shell on top of that DOS slash terminal. Not, it's not a DOS, but it's a terminal window. Make those things easier. So those are a couple of free courses. We have others coming too, by the way. Cool. Now let's move on because we only have uh, so much time we can spend with you. I'd like to find out a couple of the features you'd like to add to FileMaker. If you searched your brain and said, this, is, this would make FileMaker better for me. Well, one of the features that I've always wanted, and uh, it's a couple features. One is a real simple one. It's so simple that you're probably going to laugh, but I would love a comma for the number of records in the top left so that I can see 100,000 records and not have to say, is that a million records or 100,000 or is it 10,000? I want a comma in that in that area. And I, and I don't think it's too much to ask. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the small things I want. Um, a bigger thing, which I think would be pretty impressive, would be I'd love to be able to click on a field in FileMaker and have a report drawn of dependencies. So it says this field is used in the following places basically like a built-in base elements or an inspector report built into FileMaker. Right. Not have to run the whole DDR, just do it right on that one field. Yep. Right there. And then, and it's visual, it's quick, it's, it's available to me in a, in a way that it has a lot more meaning because at the time I'm looking at a field, I don't necessarily want to leave that system, run a DDR or run an inspector or run a base elements. I will. Um, and I do keep one readily handy when I'm developing, but it, just, it would just be nice to be able to right-click and say, oh, this field is not being used anywhere. Feel free to delete. Okay, thanks. And uh, so that, that would be another example of what I'd love. I'd love to be able to search in the relationship graph. I, I think there's solutions out there already for that. I think, I think uh, MonkeyBread and maybe others have solutions where you can search through the relationship graph, making it easy. But I think that should be something that's built in because that graph is a little hard to control. You know, in the old days, it used to be a list view. So at least you could maybe sorted or find it easier. But now with, with it graphical uh, on a large graph, it's really tough. Yeah, it's funny because we asked that question to uh, Rick Coleman and uh, Robert Holsey when we uh, interviewed them. And we said, we'd like to have this. Both Michael and I wanted to have features to make that easier to work with. And one of the things was, let's be able to search. Let's be able to you know do this and do that. And they were kind of vague but they're clear that maybe that wasn't the solution. And it was interesting because they wouldn't really tell us exactly what was coming down the pipeline, but uh, they may surprise us with something that may get the job done in a different way. We'll see. Yeah, that'd be very interesting to see that. The interesting thing about it is that one of, one of our pet peeves about searching on the relationship graph is that the table occurrence itself is highlighted but only very subtly so if you've got a complex graph your eye has to hunt around for it and i said you know we just need it to be more dominant more obvious and it was like nobody's ever told us that before <laughs> wow yeah and it only responds to the keyboard i'd rather have it in, in the form of a spotlight search at the top right with a nice list view of search you know, the found found something. I'm sure you guys thought of that. Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, there's there's so much it could be done to to make it easier to to work with for sure. What else? I'm trying to think. I think it would be neat to have less modal screens than we have today. I mean, strides have been made to have less modal screens, but we have so many modal screens right now. For instance, when I'm in define fields, 
I can't do anything else. Why can't I have the defined fields open while looking at layout? Why can't I? I got just going to point something out funny. You just called it defined fields. Yeah, that's wrong. I know. <laughs> like it's like me calling it script script maker. I still call it to that to this day. But sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But it just I just realized you do exactly the same thing as I do. We go back, we regress when we're talking about FileMaker. So, oh yes, <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> Well, there is a reason for that, is that we, all three of us, are old farts. We've been around a long time. That's right. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's quite a few listening that have got the same experience and probably wouldn't recognize things by their new name. So that, that would be that. I think that um, I'm trying to think about some other things that would make it better as a platform. It'd be nice to have a built-in tool that showed the current connectivity strength. So much of we as developers, we... If you're a web developer, you can look at a browser and it can tell you how many seconds it took to draw the screen and you can start to identify performance things. It'd be nice to have something in FileMaker built in to say, okay, your system overall opens up in this much time. Here's where the bottlenecks are. Here's that kind of thing, you know, performance bandwidth, some form of an analysis tool for that would be neat. Or And maybe even built into a script step or a function so you can analyze it on the fly for the client or for the user of that system where they're connecting to, yeah. Yeah, you mean make it available to them to say your current connectivity strength is. Yeah, or you do something different based on that kind of connectivity strength. Who knows? Mm. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, like for instance, you won't go to this layout or you'll go to that layout based on the conditions of the strength of the of the internet at that point, especially since so much is being hosted these days. Almost everything is hosted. So many of our customers host more than on-premise by, by far. Yeah, I agree with that. And it wasn't always the case. Hosting was an exception rather than the rule. So now that that's the rule, you know, want to optimize that as much as possible. Yeah, and it, it changed and seems like overnight. And by overnight, I mean by the last five years, all of a sudden everybody's, you know, in the cloud now. So yeah, it really is. It, it's taken by storm. People have really warmed up to this notion of they don't want to be IT people anymore. They just want to be, have it hosted and be done with it. And I think uh, that, that all started with Adobe when they started doing monthly subscriptions. And then people got the idea of, oh, I have to pay for something you know, on, ongoing by month. And then everything sort of evolved from there. And then you had your Netflix. And then now everything is by the month, or so it seems. So let's talk about Claris Connect a little bit. I'm sure there's a tons of features you'd like to add to FileMaker. But uh, you know, we want to make sure we get into all these topics. And so you, can you give us a definition of what you would define Claris Connect as this new product from them? And what cloud services you feel it should support? So Claris Connect, I'm excited. Uh, maybe I'll answer a, a few different aspects of, of your questions all in this uh, one statement here. I think Claris Connect is is a way in which it brings, again, brings relevancy to the platform, brings opportunity where none existed, and potentially opens up the FileMaker world to people that haven't used FileMaker before. And so what is it? Claris Connect, I, I think, can be defined by, it's the master juggler of all these other different services. In other words, it can connect two disparate systems and join them at the hands in a way that they can communicate back and forth. If you've ever used the tool Zapier, it's basically competition to that. But it goes a step further because it has, first of all, it goes a step further because it talks directly to FileMaker or will. And it also has on-premise attributes, which I don't think Zapier really has. So I like it for all those reasons. I like it because it's a separate product. So, you know, Claris renamed themselves probably because they wanted Claris Connect as an individual product distinct and apart from FileMaker. What that means is Apple can sell this product independent of FileMaker to the technology market in mass. Now the technology market comes to Claris Connect, they open it up, they see all these connectors, ones they already know about and ones maybe they haven't heard about in a long time something called FileMaker. Wow, I can connect FileMaker to MailChimp. I can connect FileMaker to QuickBooks. I can connect FileMaker to all these things. What is FileMaker? Why is it on the list? Let me check it out. Oh, 
it's a whole platform on itself. Wow, this is a great tool. This is going to be much easier than Salesforce or much less money. It'll be much more approachable for our current infrastructure. It's something I can do myself. I don't need to be a computer programmer to get started. That's the promise. One of the promises, I think, of Claris Connect is visibility into the FileMaker world where none existed. As well as the fact that it makes these things that would take hours normally to connect to a service done in minutes from what the promise is. It makes it so easy to connect to these different services. Right. Yeah, all the all the hard stuff is done in the background or most of it is done in the background. And you'll be able to create a workflow and define two simple things, a trigger and an action. The trigger is when something happens and the action is what happens when that trigger is triggered. So something like when a new customer arrives in my FileMaker table, what do I do with that? Oh, I wanted to create a new contact in MailChimp so that I can mail to that person a month from now. Or a new invoice is created in FileMaker, it pushes to QuickBooks Online and then creates an invoice. And then it notifies me through Slack or through some other notification mechanism that a new invoice was created. So you can connect all these pieces in a workflow trigger action environment without being a developer. And most of all the hard stuff is done. And I say most because obviously there's always gonna be exceptions to the rule. And there's always things that you might wanna build onto it that it didn't come with out of the box. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting tool. It's one that I'm familiar with in the form of Zapier. So the hope would be that this is as good or better than that because that's become really popular because it allows a knowledge worker. If you think about FileMaker, we all talked about it at the beginning of this call. We said, what makes FileMaker special? It's because a non-developer was able to get into it because of some need. I see Claris Connect as a way to get that same person, that same knowledge worker, the ability to connect two systems because of a need, yet still not requiring a true blue developer on the other end. That's probably the best definition so far. And you mentioned something that you assumed all of us knew what it meant. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't know what it meant. And probably there's some listeners who don't know what it meant. What is on-premise attributes? Well, I believe there's components, and I don't know if they were directly exposed at DevCon, but I think they were in the form of a slide. But when you think about FileMaker, FileMaker doesn't just run in the cloud, it runs on-premise. So I think, and again, I don't really have facts on this, and I'm not even sure if I had facts, if, if this would be a little too much prior to release as far as an exposure standpoint goes. But when you have an on-premise server, wouldn't it be nice to be able to connect to something in the cloud automatically? So my on-premise data is here on-premise. Can that automatically talk to data in Claire's Connect, thereby sharing that data without forcing my database system to be in the cloud itself? So cake and eat it too. Yeah, no, that that's, that, that's what I wanted to know. And I think that's what you know, one of those short terms, you know, that people use, you know, you get used to it and you know the definition. I just didn't know what it was. So that's that's great. That perfectly describes it. Let's move on to APIs unless you have anything else to say about Claris Connect. Sure. Actually, before you before you go on there, I, I think the one thing that I'd like to say about Claris Connect is I'm excited because I'm not all that interested in learning the API coding and how to do that because I don't have enough need for it to really make it worth my while spending a lot of time learning it. So Claris Connect will give me the best of both worlds by allowing me to make connections without having to go through and the learning curve that you you guys have had to go through. Right. Oh, with, without a doubt. I mean, that is the biggest selling point. I didn't start with that selling point, but that is the biggest selling point to Claris Connect. That's the, the best feature is that you will be able to connect two things in minutes rather than hours or days in some cases. Uh, you won't have to learn a bunch of new technologies. You'll be able to simply say, I want a new contact created here when this happens, or I want a new invoice or whatever new entity you need or change this. Or, I mean, even something like adding a Google, adding a record from FileMaker to a Google sheet because you want to share the Google sheet in a different way to someone who doesn't have FileMaker. All of that, is likely possible with Claris Connect and more. You know, it's just the tip of the iceberg, and I'm sure they're going to continue to add to it. 
in the form of connectors and features. And of course, the one thing that we none of us have any idea about, I mean, you might do, Mark, because you're more of an insider than I am, but what are they going to charge? And, you know, is it going to be affordable? Yes, you're going to save time on the front end developing and using it as opposed to writing an API, but does the cost, will the cost of it outweigh that time saved over a long period of time? We don't know. Yeah. No, I don't know the pricing. I do know there's a couple of facts at play. It's still an Apple-owned company and no one works for free. So I'm sure there'll be a price associated with it. It probably will be a price that makes financial sense for them and hopefully a price that makes financial sense for us, the developers, the users, the customers who want to incorporate it. The same could be said, well, FileMaker licensing works very similarly. What's the value of this platform and what are we willing to pay for FileMaker licensing? relative to the value we get in return for that platform. So yeah, I think that's all at play yet to be discovered. Will it be worth it? I guess it'll depend on the situation. It's so funny, Michael, because so many people buy our plugins for the same reason. They don't want to learn what it would take to connect to an API or to build their own plugin. So they simply buy ours and move on their happy way. Claris Connect is very much the same way. Yes, I'm willing to pay a price to save me the time. Will it be worth it? That's anyone's guess at this point. Yeah. Fascinating times, though. Yes. So let's talk about APIs. And, and you talked about them at DevCon this past DevCon. Uh, what APIs, I, you can't give us the whole spiel of, at this point, but what APIs are you really interested in and think are critical to have knowledge of for FileMaker? Well, I think when you talk about APIs, I think what you're asking is what APIs do I think are popular and useful and being asked of and in demand today? That may be one way to ask the question. Yes, yes. Uh, you have much better question asking than I did. <laughs> you don't need us here, right? Just ask yourself questions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, you might be asking yourself, and I'll just go on and on and on. Um, well, I'll tell you what. When you look across what your own customers ask you on a daily basis, if you have enough customers, you can start to gain an appreciation for what it is. There's some commonalities of what they all ask you. and. Sometimes you can lead a customer one way or the other by introducing them to an API they would have otherwise discounted because either they didn't know about it or whatever. So I think a lot of that conversation can be driven from a leadership standpoint more than you think it can be and when it comes to your own customers. But some of the things that a lot of our customers ask us for, and I say a lot loosely, it ends up being a handful because not everyone asks for the same thing. But let me go down the list. MailChimp integration is a pretty big ask. A lot of people use MailChimp for mass marketing. We all know that FileMaker out of the box does not send HTML emails without the form of a plugin or some API integration. So people then say, okay, how do I do my mailings? MailChimp is a great one. In addition, MailChimp is a whitelisted authority. So they're allowed to mass mail people. When you do mass mailing from FileMaker, you can do that to some extent, but there'll come a point where your hands are going to be tied. Yeah, I got busted. You did. You did. because I. <laughs> Well, not busted. My, my my ISP said, hey, you're sending a lot of emails. You're going to have to use, uh, you know, some type of service. And so I switched. It was, it was, I didn't get busted, but I thought that was a funnier way of saying it. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I know. Eventually you'll get to the point where someone's going to get upset because you haven't been whitelisted and you don't have the sanity, uh, the sanitized, whatever, the credentials, whatever you want to call it, attestations. Then there's DocuSign. DocuSign is heavily used for document signing. What we have found with DocuSign, though, is that a couple of customers looked into it. And not only is the API fairly expensive to work with DocuSign, but DocuSign itself is very expensive, especially if you're talking about signing documents on a mass scale. So that's feasible for some, not for others, but it is an extremely popular service for document signing. And integration with that is 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 likely. We've had, you know, it's hard to answer some of these questions because our plugins do so much of this API work that I'd say, you know, definitely QuickBooks is um, one of our best sellers. We Exchange Manipulator and Outlook Manipulator is also one of our best sellers. Any kind of integration with Office 365 is a hot topic because a lot of people use that for their mail and they want to integrate task management, contacts, calendaring, automation around those points. But traditionally, since APIs weren't really available in FileMaker, they bought our plugin. So we're not getting asked by those customers to do integration because they're already using our plugin. What else? I'd say um, 
integration with some of the Google stuff. Everyone wants to integrate with Google Maps until they realize that it's like $10,000. If you're going to do a commercial solution, you have to pay Google for that kind of um, rights to use Google Maps if you're going to do a, a solution that sells commercially. You know, and what's interesting about APIs is that there's simple ones and hard ones, and no two are created equally. A simple API would be like getting the weather. That's a simple API. A difficult API, and one of the most difficult, would be like Amazon working with AWS or Google. Those APIs are extremely complicated by comparison because they do so much, they're super secure, and it requires a lot more know-how to work with those APIs. So whenever you have a plugin that can bridge the gap, because you know some developers fold their arms and sort of dig their feet in the ground and say, I'll never buy a plugin. I don't like I don't like the fact that it's with a third party. I don't like the fact that I have to pay for it. By golly, I'm going to learn this API and do it all for, for no licensing costs. What they fail to realize is that it takes hours, months, years to really perfect and acknowledge those APIs and get them all to work. And then you have to maintain them. Sometimes it's just easier to buy a plugin. And then you're, you're back. You, you never left ScriptMaker. Or did I say that wrong, John? ScriptMaker? <laughs> <laughs> Script Workspace. <laughs> script workspace right you know set field set field set field and you're done um so those are some of the apis that we've been asked to work with and those are the popular ones i think there's more and more along the way that the work that aws is doing in particular is mind-blowing in terms of um, some of the things the technologies they're creating and their friendliness to the developer environment as a whole just a unique offering. It's great to be alive in 2019 with a company like AWS uh, at your fingertips, literally at your fingertips. The amount you can do with that entity is has no bounds at this point or virtually none. It's just amazing. And you spend any time with that entity and you'll be blown away. You'll feel like you've just met FileMaker, a different version of it, except in 2019 versus 1989. So I'm excited about that. I had a question for you about the QuickBooks integration, and you and I have been talking about this because I've got a client who needs it. And I have always, for a very long time, subscribed to the belief that putting the information in FileMaker and having it in QuickBooks is completely unnecessary because you're reinventing the wheel and duplicating data, which I have an antipathy towards. And what I tell people is that why don't you just do it all in FileMaker and then get FileMaker to give you the journal entries that you would then just go into QuickBooks and post as journal entries and then just run the reports and any substantiation or verification from FileMaker. What's your thoughts on that, Mark? Well, that strategy is a good one. And a lot of people go with that exact strategy where all the details are in FileMaker and they do a transactional push to QuickBooks for the sake of pure accounting and for the sake of balanced financials at the end of a fiscal year. They know they need an accounting system. It's hard to get away with not having an accounting system. So they know they need that. I agree. But they also don't like the idea of necessarily duplicating, uh, recreating the wheel in a second platform. So that's, I would say that's less than 50% of the customers do it that way. More than 50% of the customers actually put the invoice in QuickBooks. And the reason they like the details and the invoice in QuickBooks is because the payments accepted on that invoice are generally the job of a bookkeeper slash accounting person where there's sensitivity involved because now you're handling money. So let me paint the picture. Salesperson says, I will sell you XYZ. They look them up in FileMaker. They create an invoice in FileMaker. They put in the details in FileMaker. They push the, and they don't do anything from there. They just have it in FileMaker. They created the invoice. Now the accounting person comes along and pushes that invoice into uh, QuickBooks, where now they have it in a form that they can read. They have the details there so that when they collect that payment, they have intelligence right there and then for that. Now, an argument can be said, well, they have their intelligence and their details in FileMaker. Why didn't they just look in FileMaker? And that is possible. And like I said, customers do do that. But I think there is something warm and fuzzy for the accountant to have a true blue, full-fledged invoice in QuickBooks where they can see it, smell it, and it's something comfortable for them. 
then they accept that payment. They have an invoice to put it on, not just a journal entry. And voila, now they're doing accounting in a, in a space that's safe and comfortable for them, while the people in FileMaker have everything they need, which is a full-blown invoice with all the details. Finally, the integration piece that really brings this home is the accountant, let's say once a week, will pull all the balances of all those invoices back into FileMaker so that the salespeople have accurate depictions of what an invoice might be in terms of its state, of whether there's a balance due or not. So that goes the whole circle. Salesperson creates an invoice in FileMaker, eventually gets pushed to QuickBooks, payment is accepted in QuickBooks, balance is brought back to FileMaker. Now all the salespeople have access to really good accounting information without bothering the accountant. They can see that this customer is past due without even picking up the phone or asking, mother, may I please tell me if this customer is paid or not? Because they'll never see the check to know whether that happened or not. Well, at the same time, accounting has what they need. They have a full blue, true blue invoice in accounting where they know and love. They have their payment capability and they are independent from FileMaker at any point during the process if they so choose to be. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. I've got one particular client, very large company in California, and they generate all their quotes and their orders and everything is all done in FileMaker. And because of the nature of their business, the quotes and the estimate and the orders are would take a month of Sundays to type into QuickBooks. But they still wanted to use QuickBooks for invoicing. So I said, well, this is very simple. You just generate an invoice in QuickBooks. You take the invoice number that QuickBooks gives you, you put it into the FileMaker record and print the invoice out from FileMaker, but it's still in QuickBooks as an invoice, but you haven't had to type any of the detail because that's all in FileMaker and displayed in the way that makes most sense to the customer and the and the company. And that methodology has worked incredibly well. That's good to know and not often talked about. But yes, you can create the invoice in QuickBooks and just as easily bring it into FileMaker with all the details, just as you described. Right. Yep. That's a, another great tool that that, another feature that that tool provides. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the problem here is the accountant and get rid of the accountants and then we don't have to worry about this stuff. So. <laughs> it's usually the problem. That's right. That's, you know, what's funny is that accountants sometimes don't always know how to do proper accounting. And that's, that's really the kicker in this whole thing is that a lot of times you're, you're guiding them in a sense to say, well, is that really the best way to record that? Shouldn't you be applying that as a credit versus this and that? And, you know, so it's, it's never, Right back to our earlier conversation, sometimes the customers ask for something that they don't know really what they're asking for. As developers, one of the things that John and I have said many times, and we're in total agreement, is, and we have to repeat this, you as a developer have to know when to say no to the customer. This isn't a good idea, and no, I'm not going to do it, and here's why. Can't be afraid of that. Yep. Yeah, and that's okay. And that's what true consulting is. It's wearing the hat, to, you know, wearing the right hat to be the consultant first and the salesperson second and, uh, and guide them to, to the best of your ability to the right solution at the end of the day. Once enough trust is there, they will most likely follow your advice and you'll have a good working relationship and a good solution. I think that's the problem is there's so many developers out there who don't question, I'll use your word, the motives of the client and they just give them what they want. And I, I want to, if I have a mission in, in the FileMaker market is just ask a few questions. That's all I'm, all I'm asking you to do as a developer. Just don't just give them what they want. Ask a few questions. Maybe what they're asking for is exactly what they need. Maybe it's not, but if you ask a few questions, you're doing them a service. You can never go wrong by asking a question. It also shows your own intelligence and wisdom and care as a business person. When you ask questions like that, Helps me sleep at night because I know I'm not just, you know, you know, just rattling off solutions for people what they think they want. I, I want to, I want to, you know, get together with them and, and work on a collaborative project, not just program what they tell me to. It's, it's, I think there's a difference and, and it's something that I've come to, you know, the last 10 years where I didn't really know that the first 10 years and, and it comes with experience. Well, I think there's a huge difference between somebody who is just a programmer 
and somebody who's a developer. And people say to me, oh, you're a programmer. I go, no, I'm a developer. And they go, what's the difference? And the difference is colossal because as a developer, you're rather like a programmer is in many ways like a, a tradesman, an electrician or a plumber or, or some of those working trades on a construction project. The developer is the architect, he's the general contractor, he's the superintendent, and some of the times he's the tradesman. You have to wear all those hats and be able to communicate at all levels and know more about business, or as much about business or more than the customer does. Correct. Business know-how and experience is a big part of the equation. There's only one way to learn it, which is to do it or to get someone to help guide you a mentor or anything like that would also help but yeah that's that's a big part of the equation well if you ever need a, a mentor mark john is your man there you go <laughs> i've already got him as a mentor <laughs> well we're more of uh, of friends i would say rather than but yeah i get there's an aspect of obviously you know stuff i know stuff we we help each other we're down to i think the last four questions here on our outline and we've been talking to Mark, and I've been having a great time talking to him. Uh, but we kind of stop at some point. So let's get down to these last four questions. I think most of these are yours, Michael. Yep. So, Mark, what are what are your thoughts on all the changes that are happening at Claris? Uh, from my standpoint, I'm really excited. It seems they're making huge strides and are really moving forward in a dramatic and necessary way. Do you, what do you think? I think it's a big move. Now, just the fact that they bought a company, just hearing that, you get a pause on that just for a second because those kinds of things, that kind of modus operandi, I don't know if it's ever happened, but it hasn't happened in a long time if it, if it happened at all. That's a bold move. They've definitely bought companies in the past. I mean, FileMaker is one of them, so. Yeah, I suppose that's true, right? So, but it's been a long time coming. Right. So I think that's bold. Uh, the, I think the name change is good in terms of its clarification for purchase for having different product lines within a single umbrella called Claris. I think that's good. I think that clearly defines it. I kind of like how they went back to the old name and the roots. So in a sense, it's a name they already deserve to have. So I, I'm good with that. And I'm good with the, the new leadership. It's always good to get, good to get new blood. If they um, continue to appreciate and emphasize the importance of the developer community, along with realizing the importance and the necessary things to drive a company forward in terms of relevancy and sales. Those are all important ingredients. If they can find that balance and not lose some of the wholesome things that makes FileMaker FileMaker and makes that company what it is today, then I think we're in good shape. If they stray too, too far one way or the other, I think we either have to adjust to that or they do. So that's what I feel about Claris. How, who do you think is behind this boldness if you had to point to one person at, at FileMaker slash Claris? Well, I would say Brad Freitag for sure. He's the key right there, right? He's the newest kid on the block and things started changing when he showed up, right? Yep. But I think he's, it's him and the team around him that support him. And those that have been there for a long time uh, and are still there have embraced that mantra and that ideal and realize where he's going and are excited to be part of that. And the good news is you guys just talked to Rick and Robert and they're still working there. They're from the old days all the way to the new days. And they have been able to morph and make themselves a chameleon in a, in a way to to work within the environment yet still produce a fantastic product. So it's happy to see that, that uh, the longevity of those guys have, hasn't been lost on the organization. But yeah, Brad, Fry, Brad Freitag. And, and for anybody who doesn't know who Brad Freitag is, Dominique Goupil was the president of FileMaker for decades, I think. And Brad has been inducted, I think, what, six months ago, something like that. And that's what we're talking about. In case you didn't know, he's the new CEO of, of Claris. And, and just uh, to comment what you said, Rick and Robert, you know, Rick Coleman and Robert Holsey are very unusual in the software development uh, arena. 
nobody stays at a company that long. And I think we are so blessed to have them in the market because they know so much about this product and they're, you're doing something with FileMaker that continues to keep it FileMaker rather than having a different guys come in and change and it goes off in different directions. They're keeping that product whole and, and going in a direction that is the way we want to go that's 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 you know unified and, and direct and straight rather than just, you know, you don't know what the product is going to be next year. Yeah. And the other thing I would like to add to that is I don't know whether you've had time to listen to it, Mark, but the interview that we did with Robert and Rick was one of the most fascinating hour and a halfs I've ever spent. Just absolutely, they were completely open and they told us, gave us insider insights that we weren't expecting we were going to get for sure. I listened to the first part of that podcast and was equally uh, fascinated. And then I probably had to do something related to a customer. But um, I, I look forward to listening to the rest of that. But yeah, I exactly... I know exactly what you're talking about there. So where do you see yourself in 10 years? FileMaker or music? <laughs> well, this is the this is the funny thing because I've had different hobbies over 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 my lifetime. I'm currently in the in the music YouTube hobby business at at night and weekends. For the company, I see us growing uh, a good deal more from where we are now. Keith and I uh predict that we will have 15 more years of working years in our lifetime. That'll bring us to the age of right around 65 when we're done. And um, so we want to grow the company for for that time period. After that, uh, we most likely would probably either um, pass it on to our kids if they were worthy or uh, find someone to to buy productive computing. So that's our long term play. Is from from a and again being totally transparent here with what we're we're seeing. But we have so much energy and enthusiasm right now that we want to continue to grow productive computing and work with all the things that are coming out as a platform, which includes a little bit of AWS as well. You you've already heard my passion on that. So I see myself in the next ten years. I see myself doing a lot of the same things. I do see myself being a little bit more strategic and a little less technically minded. I realize that uh, I'm looking at a wall full of certifications here and I'm realizing that it takes a lot of effort to do that. And sometimes it comes at the cost of strategic planning in order to get that kind of technical acumen. So I, I would say, if anything, Michael, my, I would slowly morph out of a little bit more, less less technical and a little bit more managerial as the years go on, but never to the point where I've lost lost it all. Right. I, I think John can appreciate what I'm saying there because he's had many a talk with me in terms of this exact topic. And it's uh, sometimes an internal struggle. Getting rid of the technician for the manager or the entrepreneur is always a difficult uh, balancing act. Yeah. I don't know how you do it, honestly. I mean, you must work 80 hours a week. I work a lot. I have a great partner in Keith. He handles so much parts of the business and we have great managers here at Productive as well as great staff. So a lot of them are very independent. In a sense, when you're working at Productive Computing as a developer here, in a sense, it's like being a solopreneur because you have a lot of autonomy. You have a lot of power over the relationship with the customer and over your own work. So in many ways, it's like owning a business without the risk of owning your own business. So I think that's what most employees will tell you when they talk about a day in the life of Productive Computing. So and that works out really well for us. But yeah, I, sometimes I don't know how I do it either. But I, like I said, I think Keith is such a big help for my partner for, in that aspect. And again, the great employees, they just do so much that we don't have to do that uh, I get to have talks like this with you guys. Well, that's good. I'm glad you took it. Any last thoughts here as we uh, end this uh, wonderful podcast? I would just say thanks for doing what you guys are doing. And I want to reflect on that just for a bit. You know, there was a time where there were podcasts in the FileMaker community several years ago. They were touch and go. They they lasted for a while and they were good. And it would be it's great to see you guys do this. There is already buzz happening out there in the industry about this podcast. And I I like your dynamic that you guys do here. And I think what you're doing is important. You're allowing people like me to uh, pontificate and talk at length about topics. I can't present like this in a video it would be way too long of a video. But in, in the form of a podcast, I think it's perfect. So I just want to say thanks for what you guys are doing. And I do hope that you keep it up to the point where it becomes uh, the de facto 
authority on all topics related to this. Yeah, and I will say that uh, this podcast was Michael's idea. He came to me and asked me to do it with him. And I didn't really understand the medium. I didn't really listen to podcasts. And now that I've been doing that, I realize after creating these podcasts, what people like about this medium. They can be driving in traffic to work and get FileMaker knowledge. You can't do everything you can do in a video, but you can do a lot of cool stuff. And people can, you know, can rather than, you know, a lot of people like that talk radio kind of thing. And they, 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 you know, don't want to just listen to music. It gets old after a while. And they can sit here and learn a little bit about FileMaker and, and get your perspective in this, you know, on the, on the, on the FileMaker market. I think it's awesome. And I've, I'm totally sold. And I'm so glad that Michael asked me to do it. Well, I am too. And it's, for me, this is a, a, the joy of doing this, Mark, is to be able to just have a, a really interesting conversation about FileMaker without being technical and sharing knowledge and ideas. And I'm learning stuff every time we do a podcast. There's something that John says that, I, that I've never thought of, and I'm sure that I've said some things that he's never thought of. So that back and forth and, you know, in, a, in the way that we do it, you know, is trying to be entertaining, but also to just pushing out nuggets and, wow, I never thought about that. And that's, you know, fantastic. We love doing it. Thought-provoking, right? Yeah. I'll be listening to this podcast. <laughs> oh, we're not going to publish it. We just been, <laughs> we've just been talking to you. We haven't been recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, I'm this is going to be a very interesting podcast once it's edited and released. Thanks, Chance. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I think we're done for the day. I'm Michael Rashad. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week at Fireside FileMaker. And my name is John Mark Osborne. Thanks for listening. And please post any comments. We love to hear from everybody. Yeah, we do. Thank you. And bye-bye now. You've been listening to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.